Fierce Women Writing is a partner of Quill's Edge Press, a small yet mighty nonprofit press dedicated to publishing the poetry of women who are at least 40 years old. Right now, I'm reading their anthology, entitled 50 Over 50, and they're currently accepting submissions for their next anthology. Learn more at quillsedgepress.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, a podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Courtney Mom. Courtney's the author of the novels Costa Alegre, a Goop book club pick, I'm Having So Much Fun Here Without You, and Touch, a New York Times editor's choice and NPR Best Book of the Year selection. Her new handbook, Before and After the Book Deal, A Writer's Guide to Finishing, Publishing, Promoting, and Surviving Your First Book, will be released on January 7th. She's the founder of the collaborative retreat program, The Cabins, which is currently accepting applications. And she also runs a service called The Query Doula, where she helps writers prepare their manuscripts and query letters for an agent's eyes. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. What are your ideal conditions to write? Silence. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely not one of these writers who can write in a, um, a cafe or with other things going on around me. I need like a crypt-like atmosphere <laughs> and total privacy. I wish I was more flexible on that point, but um, I really, I almost need to feel like I'm in the womb. No one can see me. I'm not someone, you know, who could function very well in a co-working space, writing alongside other people. I just get so, I get distracted other quirky things. I like to work from an elevated space. <laughs> it's hard for me to write on the uh, first floor. <laughs> so I work currently out of an office on the second floor of my house um, in a rural part of Connecticut with a pretty view of, of the mountains. And uh, <laughs> that's working out quite well for me so far. We We don't really have neighbors. Uh, it's just my backyard to look at. So nice and quiet. My husband has been well-trained to leave me alone while I'm writing. So there aren't too many interruptions. Thank goodness. Why do you write? I think it's a compulsion, a survival mechanism. It is my way of understanding the world and attempting to make sense of it. There's so much that we can't make sense of, but I find that until I've written something down, I can't process it or move past it or even accept it. Sometimes I'm, I suppose in that way, it's cathartic. You know, I do find myself grappling with issues in my own personal life, emotional life. I I have to kind of wrangle them on the page, whether it's just a diary entry or I'm working something out in a short story and I find I, I can come to a better understanding that, than if I'm just talking about it or, or 
working through it in my head. And I just love, I love storytelling. I believe in the power and the magic of a, of a well-told story. I, I think that it remains one of the most exciting and affordable ways to escape our own daily lives. You know, you can really feel like you're going on a voyage when you read a wonderful piece of writing. It can, it can take you out of, of whatever you're mired in. It can give you new ideas. It can inspire you. And it doesn't cost a lot to be a reader, you know, and I think it's a, that's a wonderful thing. What are your best writing tips? My best writing tips are to, this is much, much easier said than done, but to write at least your first initial drafts of whatever it may be, short story, an article, maybe you're working on a novel, to write whatever you need to get on the page and to keep on writing that way through quite a few revisions and try your hardest, whether whether or not you've never published before or you have three books to your name, um, with those initial first drafts to just allow yourself the pleasure of writing just for yourself. Don't think about the reader. Don't think about whether this is the short story that's finally going to get you an acceptance from an editor. Don't think about whether this is going to earn you any money. Just take pleasure in it. Go a little wild. Take some risks. Write things that make you feel vulnerable and a little frightened. You can always take them out after. But I find that if you start from a place where your first draft already shows you being a little withholding, whether because you're nervous about writing about someone who actually exists or you think you have to write a certain way to get published, if you start that first draft from a place where you're not, you're not having fun or you're being a little cagey, ultimately you're going to end up with a draft that probably isn't publishable because it's just not, it's not going, it's going to ring false, you know, and allow yourself to have fun. Writing can be immensely pleasurable, but once you try to start publishing, it becomes slightly less pleasurable. So do everything you can to allow yourself to have fun with your writing. What are your suggestions for someone trying to overcome a block? So a block, a block is a funny thing. I don't, I don't know that I actually believe in blocks. And by that, I don't mean to say that people don't have trouble writing. They do. But I, I think of blocks as, as ruts. And normally what's happening is that you've fallen out of love, or at least you've fallen out of harmony with the thing that you're working on. And, and I think the solution is you have to find your way back in, in a way that not only makes sense for the, for the manuscript, but that excites you and gets you revved up to work on it again. Sometimes it's just a question of burnout. Oftentimes what I find with the, the, the writers that I work with is that we're dealing with a problem of plot or stakes. And honestly, that comes into play, whether you're writing a personal essay or an entire novel, an op-ed, it doesn't matter. Normally what, what's happening is anyone can write like the first three chapters or, you know, first 10,000 words that are great and exciting. When we start to run out of steam, which is where you might feel that you're blocked, is somewhere around, let's say, the 30% point of, of whatever it is you're working on. And often that's because we don't know our characters very well. We think we do, but we haven't figured out what's in their way, what's what's hindering them from achieving whatever it is they want. I, I often find that if you can isolate your character's stated desire, and what that is, is when you read the work, 
any anyone can say, oh, well, this person wants to be a long distance runner. That's this person's goal. Now, the abstract desire would be what the character themselves doesn't even know. So let's say that this long distance runner secretly wants their spouse to say to them, I want you to stop running. All of a sudden, something like that, a conflict or a discrepancy between the character's stated desire and their unspoken desire, it ups the stakes and can help you create and maintain a plot. When, when you feel blocked, it's a momentum question. I often find that going back and answering questions like this, what is my character's stated desire? What is the unspoken desire? They help you reconnect with the people in your manuscript. Again, even if it's a memoir, you might think that you're writing about one thing, but if you spend time digging, psychologically digging into your motivations or your character's motivations, you might find that there's this whole unspoken subplot happening that's going to help power your manuscript along to its natural end. What about editing and revising tips? My m number one tip is quite mundane, but it is to save different files of each of your revisions. So let's say you finish an entire novel and you, you go back as you should <laughs> to revise it, save out a different draft. I, I didn't do this when I start, and this is probably really naive, but I didn't think to do that. And I'd find myself five days later, like, oh man, I just hacked all the magic out of this and it was gone, you know, cause I hadn't saved the, I don't know, September 1st draft. Um, so each time you make some significant revision, you know, I might, I might have like my file names are <laughs> like very long and they might say something like draft one with the ending with the zombies taken out <laughs> draft two with the zombies in it, you know, so that when I'm looking back and I think, gosh, I actually need that part with the mother in the kitchen back, mm. I can find that file easily. So that's like a pragmatic suggestion. But I mean, the main thing with revision and any form of editing is, is for a writer to realize that at the end of the day, that is the real work. And that's the work that's going to get you whatever it is you want with this, this piece of writing, whether it's simply that you want it to be as good as you can make it, whether you want to get it published somewhere, whether you want it to get you an agent. If you cannot motivate yourself to feel excited and proud of the editing and revision process, you're, you're going to have a lot of trouble and obstacles in your writing life because it's exceedingly rare that the first thing that comes out of your computer or your pen or whatever is is the draft that's actually making it into whatever your endpoint is. Revision is the process that helps get your writing ready for a reader other than yourself. And it's a scary, vulnerable place, but it's also a really exciting one. This is when you you, you change from writing the story for yourself, maybe even in a cathartic manner, and starting to ready it for someone else's sort of consumption, if you will. And you have to love it. <laughs> I didn't starting out at all, but I have really come to, um, to love it. And I, if I'm allowed to throw in a third tip, just because I find this incredibly useful, um, some people get held back by perfectionism. And if a sentence isn't right, if a paragraph is, is ringing a little flat, they, they just can't move forward. I find that on the days where you have that 
that wonderful flow energy where you just feel like I could write a lot today. Allow yourself to do that. And if you have a word that's not right or an entire paragraph that's like, oh, this is not great or a chapter transition that that isn't quite right. What I do again on the days where I really feel like getting words onto the page is I highlight those flawed areas in yellow and I just let them sit there in their yellow. And then on a day where I just don't have it in me to generate a lot of new content, but I feel kind of nitpicky, I have that editing energy, then I can look back and see those highlighted sections and dig into them and improve them. And little by little, and this is basing my work around like my energy levels and my time, I end up completing drafts, you know? So if I have a Friday and I only have an hour to work on my own my own writing, that might not be enough to sink into that flow and generate words, but it is enough to to tackle two highlighted sections of subpar content. For listeners interested in publishing, can you estimate your submission to publication ratio? That's a really hard question. For me, you know, I have I have four published books to my name. So at this point, if I'm submitting something, it's probably because I know it's going to be published. I am focused right now on long form work. That is to say, memoirs, novels, um, book projects, book length projects. I am not writing short stories very frequently, mm-hmm. but I, I I do have friends who put um they'll put like seven dollars in a jar every time they submit something to encourage themselves to keep submitting regardless of if it's an acceptance or rejection. And then every two months they they use the money that's in that jar to do something nice for themselves. Who are some other women writers that we should be reading right now? So right now, I'm looking forward to 2020. There's some great new books coming out. Um, One book that I loved, and this is a writer I I really like, her name is Rebecca Dinnerstein. And her second novel is forthcoming, I believe, in March 2020. And it's called Hex. And this book is just incredible. First of all, it's it's has a little bit to do with witchcraft. And I think that witchiness and witchcraft is very much in the air. It's sort of trendy. The, the female sacred power and energy is, is of great interest to, to myself and many other readers. And this is a book written from the first point of view of an expelled PhD candidate named Nell Barber. She works in biological science and she's experimenting with the difference between poison and antidote. And she's fallen sort of helplessly in love with her very cold and brilliant um, professor, Dr. Joan Callis. And it's in some ways, I guess it's a campus novel, but it's also about botany and witchcraft and it's funny and it's weird and it's heartbreaking. And this is just an incredible book. Um, Another author I greatly admire because somewhat like myself, she works in a lot of different registers. She's doing novels and poetry, and she's also a clinical psychologist. Her name is Hala Alyan. Her first book was um, the novel Salt Houses. And right now I'm reading her forthcoming novel or second novel, The Arsonist City. Um, Hala writes a lot about identity and displacement issues, especially in the Palestinian diaspora. She herself is Palestinian American. And The Arsonist City is about a large family spread across the globe called the Nassers. And many of them are now in America. And all of the sort of children and relatives get news that the father is selling their ancestral home in Beirut. And they all have to return to Beirut to sign their names or not 
on the the deed, if you will. And I haven't finished it yet, but it it's so lush and intelligent, and sweeping, and I just I just adore her writing. And then my third suggestion is a book that it's just one of my favorite books of all time. It's uh, Renata Adler's Speedboat, and um, it's about. Gosh, it's about everything. It's it's like if you can imagine a happier <laughs> and slightly drunker Joan Didion. This is sort of how Renata Adler writes. And Speedboat is about um, a female writer and journalist who is navigating the intellectual world of publishing in the 1970s. It's a globe-crossing narrative with incredible travel writing. It's super neurotic really intelligent and says so much about the the female psyche and also the female professional in a quote unquote you know, man's world. And I just adore this book. It's really original and I highly recommend people read Speedboat. And where can listeners find you online? I am in all the places. Um, my website is CourtneyMom.com. On Twitter, I am CMom, M-A-U-M. Instagram, it's CB Mom. Um, and then I have a newsletter you can sign up for on my website called Momologue. And that is um, comes out once a month. And every month I highlight a different writer or publishing professional. We talk about a certain theme. So like December was about gift giving and January is going to be about perfectionism. Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at weneeddiversebooks.org. Courtney, thank you so much for sharing insights about your writing process with my listeners. Would you read some of your work for us now? I would love to. I'm going to read from the introduction to Before and After the Book Deal. I think it gives a nice example of <laughs> why I set out to, to write this sort of expose to the um, publishing industry. So this is the introduction. The first time I realized publishing a book would be a different experience from writing one was when my publisher asked me to send an email blast to my personal contacts with a pre-order link for my de debut. Although I'd received such emails in the past from other writers and was familiar with the enterprise, it felt anything but comfortable to write one for myself. I've always wanted to be a writer and now I've finally done it, I typed before hitting delete. $26 might seem like a lot of money for a book, but when you divide this sum by the years that I spent writing it, delete. Pre-orders are actually a really important way to delete. As I tried and tried again to find the right tone for this email, I felt a clench of nausea where before there'd only been pride. Up until that moment, I had been my book's author. Now, I was its publicist. It wasn't a job that I'd applied for, and yet the job was mine. The professionalization of creativity is a byproduct of the digital age, and nowhere is this trend more apparent than in publishing, where contemporary authors are expected to be the brand ambassadors for everything they write, taking to their social media feeds, 
favorite banks, and Gmail to shape their book's reception. It can give you a sense of purpose and control to be your own book's champion. But spending too much time promoting our work can change our writing process, and that's a scary thing. Doubts seep in. We consider the marketability of what we are creating. We start comparing ourselves with others, an act that's far too easy now that most authors are in line. I had a really good run with my first novel. Great cover, supportive editor, ride or die agent, the whole deal. There was actual cash money put behind the marketing of my debut, and I still came out of that experience a shaking, anxious mess. There were just so many things that no one told me about jealousy, about competition, about the seasonal best of books lists that come in to ruin your life, about how hard it would be to write something new when your inner multitasker wants you to be on social media all the time. There are a lot of craft books that tell you how to write a book, but I couldn't find any that covered what it feels and looks like when you actually publish one. And so I sat down to write the crowdsourced turducken of a self-help craft book that I couldn't find. In addition to giving writers the information they need to feel in control of their publication journey, before and after the book deal is a safe house for the publishing questions many authors are too afraid to ask. Do you need to go to book parties? Should you hire an outside publicist? What kind of advance is everyone else getting? Should you send trinkets of affection along with blurb requests? Our contributors' advice on these and other matters reflects the time that their interviews took place. Writers here might be fretting about debuts that went on to be successes. Editors might be referencing new titles that were commercial flops. First-time authors who never thought they'd write again will have managed to turn in their second book projects. Things change in publishing. Sales go up and down. The muse comes and then the muse plays hide and seek. But if there's one constant I've learned in writing this, it's that everyone is freaking out about their work. From the veteran bestsellers down to the writers who are preparing their manuscripts for agent queries, everyone approaches their workspace wondering how the hell they managed to get something good onto the page the day before, because today it feels impossible until they start to write. Whether you are a writer who wants to become an author or an author who wants to remember how to be a writer once again, I hope that you find comfort here for whatever creative project you are tackling. And if you have picked up this book because you know and love a writer and you're curious about their process, you are a modern hero. Please leave a five-star review on every platform known to readers and say nice things about our books. Thank you, Courtney, for sharing your writing and wisdom with us today. It's been a pleasure. The pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for having me. Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting Courtney's writing prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Courtney's created this writing prompt just for us today. My idea for the writing prompt is to write from the first person point of view of a holiday gift and really delve into the voice of this object. Um, are they nervous about how their the gift will be received? Was the object more than the gift giver could have spent? Um, are they not sure if the recipient will like it? 
Do they not like themselves? Let's explore the way that these gifts that we give and receive over the December period feel about the act of being given. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and you've been listening to Fierce Women Writing, the podcast. Join me next Thursday for another episode. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at Fierce Women Writing. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.